time lord. I'm Daniel Levain, and I had never seen a single Doctor Who episode until I started this podcast. And of course, you can guess if you're a Doctor Who fan and you're listening to this podcast. Of course, I loved it. I fell in love with it almost immediately. I knew my friends weren't lying to me when they said you should watch it. And now I kick myself for not having done this sooner. But hey, we can't go back in time, unlike the Doctor, who does. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about episode four of season two, which is The Girl in the Fireplace. And to help me get through the intricate in and outs of this story, I brought back one of my favorite guests from season one, John Sobel. Thank you for having me yet again. Oh, it's a pleasure. I could not wait to talk about this episode with you. I just watched it literally minutes before start, starting the recording. I finished the episode and wow. Yeah, it's a great episode. Before we get to that episode, I have one quick story that goes okay. back to um, original Doctor Who. Um, and it involves last week uh, last week's episode. Um, okay. So I just yes, wanted to bring the... this up because we, you know, I did want to talk about it briefly, but, um, back in the day, uh, in the filming of Dr. Who, because of a lot of practical effects, there's a lot of downtime during filming. And one of the things that happened, and then this was a fourth doctor, uh, decision was the fourth doctor was the person who brought on canine, who we saw again in last week's episode. Yes. The, um, because there was so much downtime during shooting of Doctor Who, the guy who portrayed the Doctor and the guy who portrayed K-9 got involved in a lot of chess games. And they actually brought that into the show. But there has been many a picture, and you can find pictures online, of K-9 and the Doctor one not shooting, and even when shooting, they actually brought it into filming uh, of them playing chess, and people would come by on set, and they each would have their own chessboard with them because the, the guy would have it off stage in his and um, I, my brain is just gone right now. Tom uh, Tom Baker had his assistant mm. bring the his chessboard to him so that he would have it close by. And they each had their own chessboard completely going. And they would play the part and they would say what it was. And so then the other person would move it on their, on their board as well. So people would come by and go, oh, my God, the doctor is playing chess with his dog. <laughs> and they did this. This happened so often that they actually brought it into the show. But that was something that I remembered reading. It was just so funny. And I don't know if you talked about that at all. Uh, we we did week. not. So, we yeah. talked a lot on on his companion mm. and her relationships to previous doctors. Yes. But. Oh yes. No. No. I spent. Uh, as a matter of fact, I rewatched that episode last night in watching before I watched today's episode last night mm -hmm. as well. And I started looking up uh, canines to see if I could get one, but uh, an actual <laughs> robot robot dog. They're a little more expensive than I had wanted to spend for that. But yeah, yes, I was yeah. back into my, back into my Tom Baker, uh, Dr. Who. <laughs> I want that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mentioned in last week's episode that I did, uh, immediately love canine and I, I want to find like a, a Lego model or a small model that I can get. Oh yeah. Cause I want to put him on my desk. Oh yes. Uh, cause he he was he was darn cute. Oh. I, I appreciated him. 
Uh, as much as he looked like a 1970s design, he was darn cute. Oh, yes, he was. <laughs> but so anyway, I just had good... to bring that up because we had, a, Absolutely. We had a, you know, I... didn't get a chance to talk about it, so I had to bring up that story. No, that's a great story. I didn't know that. And with as popular as the Queen Gambit has been, Chess has seen a resurgence. Uh, and I've I've always been a fan of chess. I'm not very good at it, but I love chess. So <laughs> I love that little tidbit. That's the, I, I'm now going to have to look for those images as oh, well. Oh, it's very funny. But here's a great spot, dear listener. Uh, if you have not seen the girl in the fireplace here's a perfect opportunity for you to hit pause on the podcast go watch the episode and come back and join us because i will ask questions that inevitably will spoil the plot of the episode so i don't want to do that if especially if you've never seen it or you haven't seen it in a while go refresh your brain come back and join us and welcome back there we go <laughs> so i like i said i just finished I, I my brain is just fraught with questions so let's start with the first one usually we know why they're heading in a specific direction it's usually for the doctor to brag about his ability to tie you know to travel through time and space why did they end up in this particular ship was there a reason did i miss that no there was no reason it just happened to be we are you know it could have been um uh, wanting to do something special for Mickey. It was his first time traveling with the doctor. So we want to do something special. Let's go future. Okay. Okay. Cause like I said, sometimes there seems to be a specific reason, you know, the, the doctor was trying to take Rose to that concert and they end up in England or Scotland in the 1600s, you know? So, I know that the the TARDIS can sometimes swing and a miss. Uh, I wasn't sure why specifically landing on this ship, um, but I I'm really starting to uh, love David Tennant's <laughs> approach to this character. And it just seems like it's also anytime somebody new is in the TARDIS, we always tend to go to the future. The first trip of with Rose is mm -hmm. into the future to the end of the world the first time then adam was in we went to satellite five now this is the first time that uh, mickey, mickey is, is in, in and, and, and we're going again back to the future like some three thousand years in the future but and you know of course that's the that's the braggy thing you do right like right doc brown you know it's like roads where we're going we don't need roads because the, the future is the impressive part traveling through time you know the future is the impressive time but I love how David Tennant reacts to being in this ship and his, you know, almost matter-of-fact, like... Nothing here? Well, nothing dangerous. Well, not that dangerous. You know what, I'll just have a quick scan. Guess nothing dangerous. Oh, Such yes. matter-of-fact way of just discussing it. Uh, in, it, it just it keeps the fun that used to be in Eccleson's face. And while he doesn't have that spark in his eye the same way that Eccleson does, he maintains it not only through his words, but his actions. Uh, and immediately it was like, yeah, I really like this guy. The, 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 you know, the, there was a connection made after last week's episode, uh, especially between him and Rose and Sarah. 
And, you know, there was that ping in my heart over the whole immortality thing and, and, and watching your mortal friends or your mortal, you know, love interests have to perish that I, I, I felt a little bit more connected to the doctor. And then this week he comes out uh, and right out of the, right out of the TARDIS, he says that. And I just, I, I loved him a little bit more because I like that cynicism. I, like, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time describing exactly why I enjoyed it so much. I just, I really like that moment. Uh, is this like a unique thing to David Tennant? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. The season? Yes, absolutely. And he's and he's just so much fun because right away he's he's flipping switches. He's looking around. He's in you know the comment of uh, yeah, man, some cowboys in here. A ton of repair work going on. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, I love that. And it's and that's just strictly just a British idiom uh, of uh, repairs being badly done. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that shoddy work is being done is, uh, is a cowboy, uh, doing the mm. repair work. Um, so it's, uh, that's, I, I loved hearing that because I'd heard that, <laughs> I've heard that for years, uh, from mm-hmm. friends of mine who are, who are British, um, that, you know, it's, you know, cowboy work, um, they're cowboys here. And then he, uh, he actually says that a second time shortly after that from about, you know, about, uh, uh, Renette as well. Mm-hmm. that there's cowboys in here as well um so there was it's definitely an interesting there's a couple of uh, british in- idioms that are in here we'll talk about the other one that stand stood out for me uh, a little later on but that was uh great that's that's a fun one yeah and i have to admit based j- just solely on the title i i was anticipating that this was going to be the episode uh that we were going to be reintroduced to gwyneth from season one from uh the quiet undead or the unquiet the dead, unquiet sorry dead, yes. i always <laughs> i always mix up the, the unquiet dead um because you know the, the, there was the whole gas and fire aspect of it and i'm like oh this is gonna be the gwyneth episode not that episode at all no no just we love we love that actress but she's not ready for her return yet yeah and and it's part of this thing where like i i appreciate how just where i when i think i figured out what the show is doing and where it's going it completely does it you know it it takes a complete left turn and here we are in uh you know the the height of the french uh, monarchy, uh, and we find ourselves introduced to uh, what was her name? Uh, they started calling her Renette. Renette, right, right. Uh, they call her Renette uh, as a child, uh, and you know, turns into uh, Madame du Pompeux. Uh, well, yeah. Well, first, yeah. Mom- you, uh, uh, well, first, it's uh, Madame Poisson. Who is what's her real name is Jeannette Antoinette Poisson, who was known when she was young as Renette, which is also the phrase "little queen," and then became Madame de Pompadour, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, a character who was known uh, as the uh, um, what was the word that they use the uh, consort uh, for the king mm-hmm. of the, for the king. Sure, sure, the main consort. <laughs> It was uh, it was a very cool introduction, you know, 
the doctor talking because again I, I the moment there was a little bit of time travel i assumed the doctor had somehow crossed paths with her in a different trip i had not expected this one trip to include the story that unfolds oh no it's uh, uh, that's that's the part that i love that's so amazing about it it's uh that the the little bit of time uh even when he's uh, just talking to her through the fireplace and then finds the switch to, you know, flip the fireplace. And mm-hmm. it's been months since they had spoken. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, it was, it, again, it, it pinged at my heart as the episode waned and the, they, they had those conversations and, uh, there was that moment where he's like, Oh, you know, you're, you're trapped on this side uh, and I, I, for a moment, I thought, okay, well, they they set this up in last episode that the doctor doesn't really die, so three thousand years is going to be nothing to him. He'll somehow, you know, he, he will rejoin uh, Mickey and Rose because somehow he will, through time, get back on, kind of thing. Yes, but you know, they they, they set that up again where you know he. He's clearly smitten with this girl, and as you know, she is clearly uh, smitten with him as well. And that idea that he just he can have a moment, but he can't have the lifetime. That he is skipping faster through time. That she's taking the slow lane. Such interesting concepts. Such interesting ways of talking about time and the passage of time as it pertains to a relationship. Yes. It's, it's so, it's so nice because, you know, you always, you see um, the flashes on Rose's face of, of jealousy here and there and and Mm -hmm. how she doesn't want uh, to share until um, she has no choice. And even then, such as last week's when they finally, when, when uh, Sarah Jane and, and uh, once they realize that they're not in competition, um, how they how they start laughing about the doctor and all the how his little uh, idiosyncrasies, um, but uh, this is definitely uh, someone that Rose is not enjoying this trip because of the various uh, ways that the uh, doctor is reacting. Yeah, yeah, I just. It, it was such an interesting contrast because you see Rose sort of showing off and bragging the, the the whole time travel, space travel to Mickey, who is, you know. He's so realistic. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> that is my favorite line. <laughs> That's such a great line. Uh, you know, and so there there are moments where you see her sort of embracing Mickey in, in that aspect. But she is very much, you know, that jealous girl uh, as the doctor continues to go in and out of these uh, windows, these time windows, as they're described in the show, uh, and all to uh, continue this very quick flash in the pan kind of relationship, but clearly very meaningful to Rosette on the other side. Yes. You know, to the point where she ends up writing him a letter, knowing that she will probably uh, never get to actually hand it to him. Uh, You know, and 
again, such a great way of representing uh, time. Because if, if you've ever been in a long-term relationship, it, it can both feel like an eternity and like, you know, it's still the first day. Absolutely. And so it's such a, you know, I, I said, I say this a lot about the show, but it's such a creative way of using science fiction to tell these very interesting and personal stories and show all of the, the, you know, the, the, the interest in finding out who she is, the, 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 the moment where they fall in love, the moment where they're a little more grown up and they have those more, uh, you know, the, those more philosophical discussions and then, you know, the, the, the withering away of the relationship all in the span of this episode. Uh, and again, you know, last week I said it, uh, I felt heartbroken for, for, for the doctor, uh, in that he has to, you know, he, he has this uh, incredible burden to watch those he loves sort of age and wither away. And then in this week's episode, we were immediately shown and faced with that, uh, in a very real way and in a way that it, it's not a character that is being brought back from the original series like Sarah or, you know, the, the anchor like Rose has been, it's, you know, we get to see that entire thing play out and we can see it. It's basically his relationship with Rose just played at fast, you know, <laughs> at double speed. Right. And I think also part of it, which, you know, you don't know unless you know uh, the history and you may not even know this, but um, Sophia Miles, who plays uh, Madame Pompadour, um, mm -hmm. uh, started dating uh, David Tennant shortly after this episode was over. Mm. Uh, so there was definitely a connection that they had and they uh, dated for, I think it was about a year. Oh, wow. Uh, but yes, there was definitely something there. Um, there, that, there. <laughs> exactly. That, that worked out well. Um, uh, for her, for well, everybody yeah. included, and especially over with the, uh, the feeling of, uh, uh, the love that, that felt, obviously there was something in there that, that there maybe the, the look in the eyes or whatever that wasn't acting that was real. That, well, that, <laughs> that, that explains that chemistry. Cause there, there was definitely just those scenes where they were together it, it, there was that spark. There was that magic that you expect when, you know, two people fall in love. Um, so back to some questions. Okay. Um, the, uh, I don't, I don't know that we ever got a name for these things other than androids or droids. They, they, I don't think they had a name, but they're based on the Turk, which is an animatronic man that appeared to possess the uncanny, uncanny ability to play chess. There's chess again. Uh, mm -hmm. Back in the, in the uh, uh, 1800s, it toured the royal courts of Europe, confounding onlookers by beating them in every game until it was eventually discovered that it was a, no superintelligent proto-robot, that there was a human grandmaster hidden inside the Turks' workings. Mm. And Davies actually was... Uh, Looking at the story of uh, of uh, Renette when he was doing Casanova with uh, with David Tennant, with David Tennant 
and then found this story and kind of was able to turn it into a Doctor Who story instead of a Casanova story. Hmm. So this is definitely, this is a thing. But no, I don't think they ever had any true name in the episode other than the fact that they were, it was just, uh, he was, when he took off the the wig and mask of the first one was talking about how wonderfully intricate it was and how beautiful it was. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I don't think they ever actually had a true name. And of the so creatures the, that they were of the right of the, of the, 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 the species, I guess, or whatever. Right. They other were, than they, they were more like repair droids, uh, for the ship. And they just, uh, as it was determined later on, they, they, they needed repairs for the ship and it turned out that everything was viable to repair the ship. Right. Including, so, including the, uh, uh, crew, the crew and, good i mean the 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 idea that the ship is a human heart powering it right is uh you know that that's a cowboy way of fixing something Uh, absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and that they were going to use because she was compatible they were going to use her brain and and again i feel like did i miss something or is that just part of the conceit of the episode is just you know we're going to use this historical figure and well, I think it's, you know, somehow... I, I don't know if you want to talk about the very end of the episode, but sure. But the very end of the episode, when the TARDIS uh, goes away at the end of the episode to at the very, very end. And you yeah, see a picture of uh, Madame uh, de, de, ah, I keep on forgetting, Madame de Pompadour, which, de Pompadour. Uh, and then you saw the ship was also named. Madame de Pompadour. So that was where I think the droids found the fact that they needed to, if, you know, the ship was named for her, we need her. Mm. And I think that's where the connection, uh, you know, came for the, the droids. Right. It, that, that, that's a very, <laughs> that's a very AI sort of leap. I, I, could, I could see that. The ship is named this, so so let's this find is where this is where we need the brains, you know, the brains to run the ship. Mm. That okay, that would make sense because that that sort of had me perplexed. I mean, again, I appreciated the episode, but I'm like, why why choose her? Right, you know why? It's, wouldn't it's there be actually... other people whose brain <laughs> would be you know more advanced and? Uh, better suited to be converted to a computer brain. Absolutely, and it's not spoken out loud on the sh- on in the show. It's strictly a, if if you uh, you have to be watching at the very end of the episode to see that. I I don't know. I, I assume that the name was just sort of a, an homage of some sort, but I guess that would make sense. The ship would have always been named <clears throat> that, not just after the. Um, the the exchange which would mean that's why they 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 created those time windows to try to find her when she was determined that the age 37 was the the age in which her brain would be perfect for for harvesting right when she would be perfectly compatible with with the ship yes i see i see in one of my notes uh that they're they're called clockwork clockwork droids um so there's there that could be a possibility of their name, um, but again, there's at one point where they say that um, 
Uh, one of the droids calls itself report repair droid. Uh, excuse me, repair droid seven. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they, it looked like they were part of the, the you know the, the the tinkers that kept the ship running. Right. And eventually they turned on their masters, you know, and, and again, that's a very literary um, thing that, you know, it, we, we've seen that happen in other works of fiction, the, uh, the androids turning on their masters when, when it's time. Um, so, you know, what, sure. Why wouldn't they turn on their own people to keep the ship going and ultimately uh, travel through time to specifically locate the the person that because by virtue of the name of the ship that would become the the, the ship's computer and in theory uh fix the the, the rest of the, the rest of the the ship that i guess i guess at the end of the episode the doctor just kind of leaves adrift like yes <laughs> just kind of like okay we're done here well, again, that's part of the, you know, like the, like the last uh, time is, you know, as uh, Madame Slavine said, you know, you, you, you flit around with, you know, doing your good deeds and then leaving and consequences be damned. Mm. Yeah. Always keep moving. Always leave. Always jump out. Uh, and I guess the, I mean, they seem like, at least in this case, they were all disabled were they destroyed or were they just the, the, the connection was severed the, no, they, and thus they, they stopped functioning? Yes. Once the connection was severed, they had no, you know, because they had no thing to control them. They were being controlled by the ship as they were repair droids from for the ship. So, once, so the, I guess the, the premise is that they are all stranded in time and yes. thus they are disabled and disconnected from whatever was powering them out of the ship. Um, so without them, the ship would just move on or, or stay there where whatever the case is. Right. And Did then he the shut doctor, down the power source yes. that he said? Yeah, he said he was shutting it down before as they were as they were leaving. Okay, yeah. The, the, there were moments of the show, you know, I, I, I've started to notice with uh, Tenant episodes that there are moments of the show that happen quicker than I have become accustomed to. Uh, and things that, you know, I had become accustomed to being just throwaway lines are, you know, explaining moments that I end up becoming confused by or, no, no, that's fine. That's part of, part of, part of, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is that whole point where, um, when, uh, the doctor, you know, turns, uh, the, the fireplace over again. And says, "Don't leave." And then Rose and Mickey are, all, you know, Rose is all ready to leave, and Mickey's like, "Where are you going?" The doctor said, mm -hmm. "To stay here," and then realizes the whole point: "Hey, we're here. We have to take care of it. Uh, we have mm -hmm. to go looking around." And they go looking around, and, and Rose has that glint in her eye, like, "This is why we do this. This is why this is fun." And then the doctor comes back, complaining, "Rose." Every time, every time, it's rule one. Don't wander off. I tell them I do rule one. There could be anything on this ship. A horse. <laughs> which well, it, which makes me laugh so much. I, I love I love how the horse kept following him, and he's like, "I'm not your mom, <laughs> right?" 
<laughs> you know, but it was such a cute, uh, clever way of uh, bringing back that whole, you know, uh, there was a there was a moment in the oh the the, the first episode that we meet uh, Captain Jack uh, where uh, the doctor is sitting there going it's like just once I would like you know for people not to wander off these stupid apes that go wandering off right you know and here again you know it's like what is it? they're wandering off like you never know what's going to happen and then there's that horse. That continues to follow him around throughout the uh, the station, you know, as he's like, I'm not your mom. It's the the, the absurdity of the show uh, the, and, and its ability to bring levity in certain moments like that uh, is, you know, it's indicative of that sci-fi feel that I was hoping the show would have. And it, it carries it in spades, you know, cause that was, a, that was a very 1970s thing for space shows to do. Uh, and so in my, you know, growing up, that's how I imagine all space shows would be. And the doctor definitely plays up to those tropes and, and keeps that interest, uh, going, but yeah, absolutely. I, yes. I think uh I mean that that was it for my questions because I don't I don't think there's any new information that we get in this episode that ties back to anything that seems to be kind of an uh, overarching uh story point so did I miss anything No for that for that part no you didn't miss anything this was um uh an episode that uh, the overarching um such as last month last uh season's bad wolf and this month's uh, or this season's uh, Torchwood uh, is not uh, mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. So you did not miss a, a connection there. Um, the uh, part of the fun uh, things of the show, again, you know, as you know, I do my research. Um, yes. And hang on, I'll turn the page to the right one here. Um, the gowns that were worn by Sophia Miles and uh, her friend when they were walking, uh, her consort Catherine, when they were walking outside uh, and she was Merlin star Age, Angel Colby. Um, uh, they, uh, they were all gowns that have appeared in various movies uh, and television shows of BBC. So they have, they all have history, especially the one on the grounds when uh, the cat that Sophia Miles is walking in uh, was made f- uh, for a fifth Doctor episode called Black Orchid. It was also in a uh, uh, Annie Lennox song, Walking on Broken Glass, that same, that oh, same wow. gown. So that gown has been on, on TV a lot. And a lot, of those, <laughs> a lot of those costumes, you know, the BBC closet was filled with that they had. Some, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Between, you know, the... the, the uh, antiquities of uh british television just loving to go back in in its own history uh and the period times of the of the french i i am not surprised that they would be used time and time again oh yes and uh so let's see what else what were other fun things about this one um the doctor um is is mentioned again uh by his nickname of the daleks 
of the oncoming mm-hmm. storm that uh, Rose is talking. Yeah, I love that jab that, yeah. that Rose has like, okay, oncoming storm. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, she's trying to be, you know, the Daleks have a word for him and then he comes in drunk. Uh, with having <laughs> having created the banana daiquiri, and again, the whole point of of fruit again is a, a big point uh, of of that. Uh, that was tenets. a great little resurgence always, of always having a banana with you. You never know when you, when you need it to to have a banana with you. Look at what the cat dragged in the oncoming storm. Mm, you sound just like your mother. Uh, but yes, the other thing, the other British idiom uh, uh, that I liked was at the very end as the. Uh, Clockwork droids were all uh, failing, mm-hmm. uh, saying uh, that he's not going to wind you up again. I refuse. You know, it's uh, I'm not. Which means I'm not kidding when you says I'm I'm not winding you up. Uh, but it's obviously a pun because of the clockwork nature of his sure. adversaries. Um, so it's a. Uh, so that was another one that I really liked. It, you know, that he said at the very end. But there's so many little little things in in the episode um that are that are fun that that take that take part of this obviously with the banana and the and the banana daiquiris that he created uh, a couple centuries too early and the uh the doctor in the first meeting in the with the fireplace uh saying to the little girl that what do monsters have nightmares about or the uh Talking about the magic door in which he comes, he says a, a name for it. Space spatio temporal hyperlink. What's that? No idea. Just made it up. Don't want to say magic door. The, that particular moment was another one of those like David Tennant isms that I loved because the way he says it, it's almost like he's addressing the camera directly without ever looking at the camera. Oh, oh, yes. But he he has that sort of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, you audience, just making that connection. Uh, I, I, I love that moment. I, I, I thought that was one of the, the, the funnier uh, asides that he had with both Rose and, and Mickey. Oh, yes. And, and uh, when, Rose tells the doctor that No, you're not keeping the horse. I'll let you keep Mickey. Now go, go, go. <laughs> uh poor Mickey. Like I, I was so looking forward to him having his first adventure. And I the show was so wonderful. This episode was so wonderful that it wasn't until the, the credits started rolling that I thought Oh man, Mickey really never got anything to do. Oh, he got to like he got to use the quote unquote fire extinguisher for a little bit, but right. that was about it. Well, he got to do a you know a, a military roll into into a room, and then when the when the uh, camera first appeared on him, he he did, he pulled the old taxi driver. Are you looking at yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had a few moments, yeah. but I was like, oh man, Mickey really this kind of got robbed, uh, you know. This, he he just kind of got to go to space and and look at everything. Yeah. Once again, he's not really participating much, but you know the, this this was clearly not his episode yet. No, the, not yet. Know, the beginning of but it's of the very first adventures. the very first adventure, so he has time. But I I do have to admit that as as far as one offs go, uh, there were there were a few one offs in uh, season one that I, I didn't really care for. 
this was this was a great episode. Oh, this was a really good episode. When when a lot of people talk about episodes, when they say, "I want to show like three or four episodes that show a lot about Doctor Who and who the Doctor is to people who haven't watched it, and they don't want to necessarily do it in order," this is one that comes up quite a bit um, mm-hmm. for this for this uh, Doctor. Then. Um, um, there's, there's another, there's a couple others that, uh, I, I don't want to spoil for you, but as they come up, we'll, we'll talk about them. Excellent. Yeah. I, I, I would 100% concur if, if somebody asked me, you know, give me one episode to, uh, that, that I can watch to see if I'm interested in this show. Uh, the girl in the fireplace would definitely be high on the list of episodes that I would have them watch. Oh, absolutely. And this also, um, uh, there's, a, in, you know, similar kinds of storylines. Uh, there was a star Trek deep space nine episode called mm-hmm. the visitor where, uh, Ben Cisco keeps reappearing in his son's, uh, uh, life, mm-hmm. uh, in similar fashion. So that's, uh, that's, uh, another way that people can get an idea of how the story goes along. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, sets of course were redressed from satellite five, uh, especially yeah. the, the big room where they tend to be in the most is the, uh, is that platform room mm-hmm. uh, where they, you know, where they first uh, saw the, um, saw the earth from uh, the great and bountiful right the great and bountiful right where they first saw the earth and saw the great and bountiful fifth empire uh so that's a that set was redressed for this scene for this uh episode and um um the one other thing uh which was played up a lot last season as well about the doctor dancing uh yes. and is that and is that the doctor actually dancing or is that you know, saying something else is that saying is, um, that the doctor dancing is really the doctor uh, connecting uh, other um, ways. The 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 doctor danced in this episode. However, you want to take it, right? <laughs> I definitely think the doctor definitely danced in this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. well excellent thank you so much for joining uh me and walking me through uh quite possibly uh my my favorite of this season's uh episodes so far yes i love this episode because it's because it's a lot of fun and like i said it's it's strictly you know it's a one-off um there is truly no mention of the over arch overreaching arc of the store of the season so it really can be just a single episode that doesn't have to tell anybody anything um so it's it's a fun episode and realizes that um you don't have to be um telling a big story to tell a big story yeah and 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 what a way to tell that you know that that kind of a story to to show the the life of a romantic entanglement and just a, a quick little snippet So fantastic way of doing it. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for once again making it to the end of yet another First Time Lord episode. Uh, I am so appreciative uh, for every single one of you that takes the time to uh, 
spend a little bit of a few minutes a week with me rejoicing in all of the goodness that is Doctor Who. Uh, so while you're rejoicing during the episode, head on over to firsttimelord.com. There you can find previous episodes. You can leave us a comment uh, on this or any other episodes. Uh, on just share your thoughts. What did you think about the girl in the fireplace? I personally, it's definitely uh, trending to be one of my favorite episodes uh, so far. Uh, but, you know, I still have a long way to go. Uh, and on the website, while we're at it, you can also find links to our merch store, which still has some uh, Christmas stuff available uh, for limited time. It's going away very soon, so uh, snag those uh, while you still can. And you can also find me on Patreon if you want to support the show that way. I am Daniel Levain on Patreon, or you can follow the link on firsttimelord.com. And $5 gets you these episodes as uh, soon as they're available, which tends to be a little earlier than they get posted. And uh, a few dollars more gets you even more stuff. So any support is always appreciated. And uh, I guess I ran out of time, so let's go watch another Doctor Who. Always take a banana to a party, Rosalind. Bananas are good. <laughs>